0: All of God's people said, grant it, Lord. Lord. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, team. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times in the past 45 years in the ordained ministry. And I've heard it in a variety of ways, but the problem is the same. Why don't I seem to be able to have victory in my life? Why... I don't seem to be able to live the Christian life in joy and victorious and and in a sense of achievement or accomplishment for the Lord. Why? Why I don't feel uh, contented and joyful? Why do I feel frustrated in my spiritual walk? Someone said, "I, I go from one Bible conference to another and I'm still the same. Another person said, through the years, he said, I go from church to church, but I still can't find what I'm looking for. And one time a lady said to me, she actually said, I go to three different churches every Sunday. I go to an earliest church, then I come here, then I go to a third church. Another said, I have tried everything. I have tried speaking in tongues. I have tried… Uh, the deeper life I have tried, the inner healing services, and I can't seem to have victory in my life. I'm always feeling defeated. Why all these folks? Why, why, why in the body of Christ? I can tell you why. The bottom line is they all have one thing in common, and that is a faulty view of worship. A faulty view of worship. What people call worship these days has no resemblance uh, of biblical teaching or biblical worship at all. And I am so grateful for Paul and Jeremy and Amy and the team, our musician team. They are amazing. I really am. And one one of the first conversations I had with Paul when we started is that this false understanding about how making worship is all about music, and that is why I love him so much. And I realize that God has blessed us with a unique team here. The question is, what is worship? And why people are so confused about it. I'm going to tell you why. I hope you're listening today. I got you not only listening your ear, but your obedient ear, your willing ear. The word you've heard me teach before, if you've heard me teach on worship, the word comes from the Latin origin, when we get it into the English language. The Hebrew is different, but it's the same meaning. But the Latin word, the original word, is worth-ship. That's where it comes from, worth So the question is, what is God worth to you? What is God worth to me? Romans chapter 11 gives us a picture of what is true worship is all about. At the heart of worship is not what we can get out of it, but what we can give to it. That is really the bottom line, and that's where the confusion comes from. Worship is not getting, but it is giving, (laughs) And that is why we have these problems, these folks running around trying to find a victory in their life, trying to find contentment in their life. They're trying to find spiritual growth in their life, and they can't find it. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3.3. Those who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus said, In John chapter 3, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, those who worship my Father, worship him in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. If you got this, say amen. Amen. True worship is not what I can get out of God, uh, but showing what God is worth to me. True worship is multifaceted. Of course, praise is part of it, and prayer is part of it, proclamation is part of it, sacrificial giving is part of it. And to add insult to injury, there are some false preachers who persist that what we need in the Christian life is to get more of God and more from God. Beloved, listen to me. In Ephesians chapter 3, it is not about get, 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 get. In Ephesians chapter 3, he said, In Christ Jesus, we have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. How many? In Christ Jesus, we already have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many? In Christ Jesus, we have been made complete. The joy and the contentment in the Christian life is not uh, striving to get more out of God and get, get, get. Instead, give more of ourselves to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because God already gave you everything that you have. Everything. What we need to do is appropriate what He already has given us. And you need to know how to do that. In fact, Romans 12 tells us how to do that. Here in Romans 12, chapter uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, Paul gives us the only way for true joy, for contentment, for satisfaction, for victory in the Christian life. Please listen to me. Worship is not getting high on on some emotional high, and then it wears off, and then you're back in the dumps in worse condition. No. Listen carefully to the Word of God. Verse 1, therefore, remember what the word therefore must be, therefore? Okay, I'm going to come to it. Therefore, I urge you in the view of the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Remember the principle of therefore. In fact, here tells us what it is for. (laughs) The mercies of God. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, in view of what you saw in the last message from Hebrews, uh, from, uh, from Romans chapter 11, particularly verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God, the incredible mercy of God. Now that he had shown mercy both to Jews and Gentiles to believe in Jesus, those branches that already grafted in the Gentiles, or oh, the branches were natural, the Jews. Now that He shown mercy to all. And because of that mercy, therefore, it is your response, it's my response. Uh, to this unbelievable, indescribable, unfathomable mercy of the grace of God. Therefore, is, this is your expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to the mercy of God. Therefore, this is your secret for contentment and joy and victory and satisfaction in God. What is it? Offering God your spiritual worship. How do you offer God my body, as a spiritual sacrifice. I could jump on this altar like they do in the Old Testament. Kind of, okay God, I'm on the altar, send fire from heaven. Now, I hesitated actually saying that because some of you probably said, yes Lord, send fire Lord. (laughs) The Lord forgive you. (laughs) First of all, when Paul talking about offering our body, he's not talking about the bones and the flesh and the skin and, and the tissues. He's not talking about this physical body. No. He is referring to everything that we are. Everything that you are. That's what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice had to be killed. In the New Testament, the sacrifice has to be living. Oh, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to live for Jesus than to die for Jesus. Did you know that? Ha. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice cost a portion of one's income. In the New Testament, you must be prepared to sacrifice Everything. Uh, In the Old Testament, sacrifice had to be without blemish. In the New Testament, the sacrifice has to be complete and a total surrender. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice brought sweet-smelling savor to the nostrils of God. In the New Testament, the sacrifice must be pleasing to the Lord. Beloved, listen to me. I lived long enough to be able to make this statement— One of the sad things are that the very people who are running around from Bible conference to Bible conference and seminar to seminar, from church to church, looking for exciting experience, new experience, those are the very people who might be giving God the crumbs of their money, who are giving God the crumbs of their time, not the first hour and the first fruit. They're giving God the crumbs of their energy instead of the first burst of the energy. And that is why Paul is saying, I appeal to you. He literally is saying, I beg you. I am pleading with you. I beg you. I urge you with every ounce of my being. I'm asking, urging you. Please, 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 please understand what worship is all about because it is a secret to your true and permanent lasting fulfillment. You know one thing I've noticed through the years is that the more God blesses us, the less we're willing to give of ourselves. I've seen it too many times to doubt it. The more God blesses us, the more we we'll want to hold on to His blessings and not depart from it and hand it back to him. And that's what Paul is appealing. That's why he's appealing. He's pleading. You see, if God puts a gun to your head and says, give or else, what are you going to do? Be honest with me. You're going to give, right? Why? Fear. (laughs) Beloved, fear is not our faith. That is not our faith. Some other religion. (laughs) Our faith is not a faith of fear. It is a faith of an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise and adoration and worship. Our faith is not legalism, but thanksgiving. As many of you already heard me, you heard I have certain heroes in the the Christian history. One of them is William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. There are all sorts of things about him, but he's a man who truly believed with all his heart. God is calling him to get into the gutter and save people to heaven eternally. He went to see the eye doctor with his son Brumwell one day. And the doctor, the eye doctor, examined him. And then he took his son Brumwell aside and said, Brumwell, I need you to break this news to your father he was given that unenviable task of telling his dad that he's going blind. And so Bromwell said to General Booth, I'm afraid we don't have very good news. General Booth said, You mean I'm going to go completely blind? In a very British understatement, Bromwell said, I fear that's something we need to contemplate. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I love it. General Booth said to his son, you mean I can never see your face again this side of heaven? No, Dad, probably not. Not in this life. Then General Booth was quiet for a little while, and then he said, well, I served God with my eyes, Now I can serve him without my eyes. Beloved, this is a man who understood what it means to offer himself totally without reservation in true worship. Most of us would have said, well, it's over for me now. I can't do much now. I'm inadequate to serve God now. I can't serve anymore. I have no gifts. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, to offer all of you as a living sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. That is your acceptable. That is your act of worship. I know, I know, I know, I know, and I thought about this long and hard. This is a strange language for our 21st century. It really is very strange. It's a culture that says, get all you can, and can all you get and sit on the lid. (laughs) How can I do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means wherever your body goes, there goes the act of worship. Where your body goes, there goes a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. I used to tell people, particularly in the early days when I canceled young couples, and I would say, you know, it's a lot easier to say to my wife, I'll die for you. It's a whole lot easier to say, I'll take a bullet for you. But it is harder to say every day I'm going to die to self so that I can live for you. And it's the same with God. You say, well, I can die for God, yes, but living for God, it's a slow death. Slow death to self, life for Christ in you. Wherever you go, there goes a living sacrifice. In the boardroom, there is a living sacrifice. In the factory floor, there is a living sacrifice. In the housework, there is a living sacrifice. In parenting, this is a living sacrifice. In serving, in giving, I'm a living sacrifice everywhere I go. Beloved, the motive of giving of self in spiritual worship must always be Generated out of response to God's mercy. Always. The object of giving is pleasing the Lord. Pleasing the Lord. Before I utter a word out of my mouth, I ask, are these words going to be pleasing to the Lord? Are you with me? Before I speak ill of someone or express ingratitude towards someone, I ask, Is that going to be pleasing to the Lord? Before I allow bitterness to seep into my heart and begin to feel sorry for myself in selfishness, I ask, is this really pleasing to the Lord? Before I allow my feet to take me to places where I should not and must never, never, never go, I ask myself, is this living sacrifice, is this pleasing to the Lord? That is what it's all about. Beloved, surrender is a total job. There are some times we'd we'll be singing, I surrender all, and I'm having a hard time singing it because it's making a liar out of me. Surrender is a total job. Surrender is not tokenism. Surrender is not partial. Surrender is not just words we sing. When God tested Abraham and he said to him, Give me Isaac. He basically was saying to him, give me everything you have. Because Isaac, the son of promise, meant everything to Abraham. You know what, Abraham, according to Hebrews now that we know it, Abraham said, well, man, we're going to see some miracles. (laughs) God is going to raise some dead. I'm going to raise my dead son. Can't wait to see how God is going to work this one. Why did God ask Abraham to do that? God doesn't need Isaac. He gave him Isaac. He wanted to see if Abraham's affection moved away from the Lord and placed it on the blessing. He wanted to witness his obedience and surrender. He wanted Abraham to say, Lord thing I have comes from you. It's yours. God doesn't want it. He wants you to be willing to surrender it. When David could not build the temple, it's the longing of his heart to build the temple to the Lord. And he really was, you can see it from the way he described it and the way he he, he told him the measurements and the way he he, he really was, this was the, the dream of his life. And God said, no, not you. Your hands have too many bloods in it. So what does he do? He takes his entire net worth, puts it aside, said, take it all, use it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in the view of the mercy of God, to offer yourselves totally, completely as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then immediately the apostle Paul goes to speak about the spiritual gifts which every believer has at least one. Some of you have more than one. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then, and here I'm adding, this is a Yusuf part, and only then. (laughs) And then will you be able to discern the will of God. My goodness, we live in a culture. it, it, it grieves me, no end. With we, we, this conformity mentality, it, it, it's alive and well. I mean, you see it all over, all over the place. Conformity. Anybody tries to be different, immediately jump on him or her. Uh, even in a, in a kind of a little more ridiculous or a little, in a lower level importance, you see some whiz kid who's wearing a $200 sports shoes. Every kid wants to buy it. Conformity. Some celebrity, useless celebrity, wears a designer jean. Everybody wants to buy that jean. And it goes from the ridiculous to the sublime. It gets worse. Beloved, listen to me. Standing against the current of culture is a rarity these days. If there is a hip pastor, you know what I'm talking about? Now, if you want to know what the hip pastor is, Look at me, and you know he's not like me. <laughs> he, he just, no, no, I'm not a hip pastor. If a hip pastor gets up and he said, God is too big. There are many ways to God other than through Jesus. I am so thankful that I can come to him through Jesus. But not everybody. Thousands of young pastors follow suit and start preaching this stuff. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Another hip preacher says, we don't need to judge sin. We can baptize it into the church. Thousands of young pastors within weeks preaching the same falsehood. Make no mistake about it. Satan understand this powerful desire of conformity. He understands it very, very well, and he uses it to the hilt. He uses it to the hilt. Why? Because Satan's goal is to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Is this news to you? No. I know I tell you what, I, I, I told the devil, I said, if I croak, I'm going to preach this sermon. <laughs> so, forgive me for, for croaking. <coughs> if you get one message from verse 2, it's just one thing. I want it to be this. Dare to stand alone. Alone. Dare to be different from the masses, dare to stand firm when everybody else is caving in, dare to be a Daniel, dare to be a Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, dare to say no when everybody else is saying yes, dare to say no that is not biblical, dare to testify, dare to stand courageously against the biblical church, unbiblical church, even if you have to walk out of that church, walk out. Why? Because the transforming of your mind produces transforming of your will. And the transforming of your will is going to reveal the will of God to you, and you and the will of God will be one, in and out, in the same mind, the same mind as Christ Jesus. The word transform here that is used, the original word, is the word from which we get uh, metamorphosis, where something is transformed from one form into another. It's like a change of the tadpole into a frog, or a caterpillar into a butterfly. Let me tell you, a lot of caterpillars in this church need to become butterflies. You better start flying, all right? Okay, I know. Get out of your cocoon. Get out of your cocoon and start flying. In fact, in this same word is used here. It's the same word used in the in the in the Gospels to describe what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember when Jesus took, Paul, uh, took Peter uh, and John and James and went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's what the word means, tra- tra- transformation, or, or transformation, the Lord's inward essence was allowed to shine through his body, and he said his face radiated. That's what it means. He was transformed. Look with me at verses 3 to 8. I know I have long introductions, (laughs) but I get to the sermon. I often do. Here the Apostle Paul gives us practical ways by which we can offer ourselves totally as a sacrifice to the Lord. Please listen to me. We cannot offer ourselves totally to the Lord when we're sitting on our blessed assurance and doing nothing. Hello? Why? Because actively serving God brings honor to God. And here's the sticky wicket, as they say in England. (laughs) None of us are exempted. None of us exempted. Why? Because none of us have been exempted from receiving the Holy Spirit with all the gifts that He brought to us. Beloved, listen to me. Study after study after study. I've always been fascinated by this. I've shown that even the most brilliant minds among us, the most genius people, the most intellectual, they only use 11% of the brain capacity. Did you know that? (laughs) About 90% just go unused. Even the brightest. I have a hunch that we have a similar percentage as in the church. If you stretch it, it may go to 2080. 20% doing all the work, giving all the money, giving, do all the things, serving, serving, serving. 80% spectators. They're watching. Here is the flow of true worship. It goes from self denial in spiritual worship to self-surrender to the will of God. And it goes from self-surrender to selfless serving in the work of God. No exemption. Look at verse 3. No exemption. Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone. You notice that? How many? Everyone. Say it again. Everyone Every one of you. No exemption. From my personal observation, and this is just my personal observation, through serving in not only different West Coast, East Coast, but Australia and elsewhere. I have found that in a given church, there are two extremes. Two extremes when it comes to this. Both are erroneous. Both are destructive to the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully, please. Both are designed to make the church of Jesus Christ ineffective. One extreme is the person that, who thinks much highly of himself or herself than they ought. And they sort of look down their noses at the others. Yeah, they let them work. They're the workers. I'm the prince of the church. I'm the princess of the church. I don't work. Look down their noses. They think the serving is beneath them. That's a bad extreme. The other bad extreme, equally bad, is the (laughs) self-deprecating. The self-deprecating person, well, I'm just not worthy. I, I have nothing to offer. I can't really do anything. Both are false perceptions and both designed to paralyze the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So what's the answer? The answer to those two extremes given to us right here in the Scripture, not from me, I'm not bright enough to tell you, right here in the Scripture, it tells you. Verse 3, Paul says, the first answer, have an accurate self-perception. Can you say that with me? Have an accurate self-perception. Let's say it again. in verses 4 and 5, he said, have an adequate perception of others. And thirdly, verses, seven, uh, verses 6 to 8, he says, have an active service mentality. Have an active service. I've worked hard on those A's, so can you remember them? All right? You get them? Accurate, adequate, active. Can you say them with me? You get an A. (laughs) By the way, I I I I designed to scare you a little bit, but this I'm going to go through very quickly. It's not going to drag. (laughs) Explain each one of them in in length. So relax now. You will not miss out your lunch. Adequate self perception means that I'm neither inflated or deflated. I'm realistic about myself. How do I have an accurate perception of myself? By not keeping my eyes on somebody who's better than me, or focusing my eyes on somebody who's worse off than me. Why? Because you will always find somebody who's better than you. You will always find somebody who's in worse shape than you. If you focus on somebody whom you perceive better than you or has different gifts than you, you will experience false discouragement. You will, I promise you. If you keep your eyes on somebody whom you perceive worse off than you are or have different gifts than you are, you will have an inflated self importance. Both extremes are deadly, both of these are wrong measurements. For accurate measurements of self is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus. When your eyes on only on Jesus, you will have a sober judgment, meaning accurate perception. Why? Because God does not give us all the same measures of faith. He gives some measures of faith to you and different from you and you and you and me. And when you operate faithfully on the measure of faith that He's given you, you will not be discouraged. You will not be discouraged. You will not be frustrated. You're not going to feel defeated. Can I get an amen? Amen. Transforming of the mind will help you to have an accurate perception of yourself. Secondly, transforming of the mind is going to allow you to have an adequate perception of others, verses 4 and 5. Let me just give you a a word picture here. Two members of the same body, my body, my ear and my hand. Imagine the ear says to the hand, I know it's far-fetched, but just humor me, okay? You're useless. You can't hear, I hear. I perform a service, you're not. Then all of a sudden, you get an itch in your ear. And you need the hand, right? But you don't say, you already told the hand is useless, so try to go like this, you know. (laughs) Have you seen people walk like that? (laughs) In the same way, the diversity of the gifts in the body are designed for us to be dependent on each other. Or imagine for a moment you're flying on a plane and all of a sudden the announcement comes and says, we have made a decision that we're going to switch roles. The pilots are going to serve the food and there be flight attendants and the flight attendant is going to pilot the plane. Now I want you to imagine what a lousy service that will be. <laughs> Don't worry about the plane crashing. <laughs> or imagine the horror of me trying To sing a solo every Sunday. (laughs) I know you'll clear this place out before five minutes into the service. No. Paul said, don't envy the gifts of others. Don't despise your own gift. Don't sit and wish you've had a different gift. Don't waste your life moping and moping and 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 moaning and complaining that your gift is not important. Your gift is not significant. The God who knew you before the foundation of the earth, He knew you to give you the gift that He knows is perfect for you, not for somebody else, just for you. Get on with worshiping God, using your energy and exercising of the gift, beloved. This is how seriously the Bible takes the discovering and the using of a spiritual gift. That's why we do this with all new members. Help them discover their gift if they don't already know. Imagine a cell in the body or a group of cells in the body decide to rebel against the body. We're not going to cooperate with the rest of the body. You know what we call those cells? Cancerous cells. Really. That's what the doctors call them. Those rebellious cells are cancerous cells. Unless they get corrected, they can destroy the life. The nature of these rebellious cells says, I'm not going to give up myself. I'm going to keep all of my nutrients to myself. I'm not going to give back to the body uh, what the body needs. (laughs) These cells are going to sap the energy. that body. These cells will weaken the body. These cells will eventually, unless corrected, will destroy the body. Are you listening to me? Please say amen. Amen. Have I stepped on your toes? And if I have, that's fine. That's okay, because I know the Holy Spirit is going to hug you. (laughs) Our transforming mind gives us accurate self-perception. Our transforming mind will give us adequate perception of others. Finally, thirdly, six to eight, our transformed mind will give us an active, serving mentality. Beloved, the Scripture tells us that when we become born again, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in us, but He doesn't come empty-handed. Holy Spirit is very generous. He always comes carrying gifts, at least one gift, for most of us it's more than one. That's your spiritual birthday gift. The Holy Spirit brings it to you, hands it to you. The saddest part to me is the person who never, ever opened the gift to know what it is. The next saddest person to me is the person who opens the gift and says, oh, I don't like that, put it on the shelf operate without it. Meanwhile, the body of Christ is languishing. The body of Christ is suffering because of their absence. Listen, to those who say, particularly those who are watching me right now, and to everyone here, those who say, I get nothing out of church, to those who say, "Eh, church doesn't do much for me, (laughs) think about the loss that others are experiencing because of your absence. Think about that. And think about it for a long time. I'm told that in the United States Navy, there are about 700 ships plus, or more or less, 700 ships that are um, stays in the harbor. They don't go inactive. Uh, they irreverently refer to them as "Mothball Navy." These vessels anchored in various harbors around the country. They are constantly receiving excellent maintenance. The exteriors are continuously repaired and painted and repainted. The hulls are continuously uh, bombarded by electric impulses designed to retard the process of rust or corrosion. While most of these ships could be ready in a short period of time for active service, at present they just sit in the harbor. Unfortunately, there are many people in the Church of Jesus Christ who can be called mothball Christians. Mothball Christians—they are continuously receiving ministry. They, when they're discouraged and they need prayers, they receive Christian encouragement. Uh, when they're spiritually hungry, they get fed. But then, when they don't want uh, anything, they hang on the door a sign that says "Don't disturb." <laughs> Undisturbed. Romans 12, 6, and 8, Paul gives us a beautiful picture here. I believe with all my heart, if every church, if every believer takes this picture to heart, we can turn this world upside down. Let me tell you this as I conclude. It's an illustration. I don't want to take it too far. And when I tell you the story, you'll understand why I'm warning you ahead of time. You'll understand. The point of it, after World War II, there were a group of German students, uh, Christian German students who volunteered to go to England and help repair a a very well-known, famous cathedral that was bombed by the Germans during the war. And they worked hard, they repaired, and they've done all the things they could do. As the work progressed, they become concerned about the large statue of Jesus. See what I said? I'm not big on statues, but I'm telling you the story. There was a large statue of Jesus. It was depicted with his arms wide open. And the inscription at the bottom of the statue says, Come unto me. And they tried to repair those arms. They tried to repair those hands. just They couldn't do it, and they couldn't do it. They experienced real difficulty in fixing it. After much debate, the leadership of that particular cathedral, that church, they've decided to keep the hands off of that statue and change the inscription, Christ has no hand but ours. See what I mean? Because my hand of, the hand of my Jesus is too mighty to work. It's too powerful, and it's not short. But the point is the same. The question is, are you serving as the hands of Jesus? Are you serving as the hands of Jesus? I pray to God that this, not one person here would say, well, this is not really for me. It's for so-and-so. He really, or she really needs this. The Apostle Paul left no one out. He said, everyone, will you stand up with me? Will you stand up? (coughs) <coughs> I'm going to ask the musicians to start just uh, playing in the background here. As I want every person standing here, I hope you're not going to leave. Just wait a few more minutes. God might be doing work in your life. I don't know. The Holy Spirit might have spoken to you. And as our musicians, just play softly here. I I want the Holy Spirit to speak deeply into your heart. If I already spoke to you, just say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you would have me to do? Holy Spirit, I do want to serve you with all my heart. I do want to worship with every ounce of my being. Will you show me? Will you make the way clear? Take a moment. Ask the question. He will answer you, I know He will. I know He will. God loves you so much. He cares for you. Not just forgive you all of your sins, redeem you, provides for you, but He even allows you to be able to see and read the Word of God and be challenged by it. That is a great gift from God. He does that to me all week long. And then if the answer, Michael, yes, I really want to serve the Lord with every ounce of my being. I want to be in this spiritual worship environment. I want to use all the gifts that He's given me. I, I, I don't want to sit like a mothball Christian. I really want to serve Him, and I want to be encouraged by Him, and I want to be shown how to do it. Just where, as every head is bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. God bless you so many. So many hands, yes. See, the Holy Spirit is watching. Not me. And The angels in heaven are watching. That's really the most important part. That's who the most important person is, Holy Spirit of God. You know the desires of our hearts, and, and you, Holy Spirit, inspired David 3,000 years ago to say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Father… We want to delight ourselves in you. Lord Jesus, we want to delight ourselves in your will. We want to offer to you our bodies everything we are to be acceptable and pleasing to you. Will you hear our prayers? I know you will, and I know you already have, because we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. And all of God's people said amen and amen and amen. Remain standing as we sing. Thank you, Jeremy. (laughs) I'll see you next time. time.